the Ukrainians are struggling to make the big breakthrough. It could take more time. They're still hopeful and they are still pressing the United States and their allies for more military aid, more support to try and get through those minefields. An official telling me they have a fraction of the demining equipment they need. That's a problem. This headline was troubling yesterday from the New York Times. U.S. intelligence assessment says Ukraine's counteroffensive will fail to achieve key objective. That's what our intelligence says. Uh, it's troubling that it's true. I think it's also troubling that they're telling us this. Why is that coming out? Is there a reason for that? Let's discuss that and several other uh, matters of note with Mike Lyons, military analyst, a major in the United States uh, Armed Forces, serving the country all over the world, and a respected military analyst on CNN, among other places. Mike, how are you, sir? Uh, good morning, guys. Great to be back with you. Last time you were on, you were more optimistic than usual about Ukrainians' chances with this counteroffensive. Where are we now? Yeah, I was because they were at least able to get through the first line of defenses there. They got into a town, Robertin, but in two short weeks, it looks like they've been pushed back towards Zaporizhia and this uh, Melitopo, which is their key objective. It's only 75 miles from where they're sitting right now um it just seems unreachable for them and that's because you lay two to three defensive layers of minefields together with um built-up areas that they can't avoid um without the equipment without the the mine clearing equipment you know it's really what it comes down to and and how they've deployed these mines they've been stacking them two and three underneath into the ground at the time so even if the mine clearing equipment gets the first two there's still one to go and it blows the tracks off the tanks and you, you, and then you just overall add no air superiority whatsoever. You just don't get any kind of recipe for success. You know, counteroffensives are about bold, audacious moves, the shock and awe, you know, all those things that, that we, you look in history and, and shock effect and stuff. None of that's here, and that's, that's just why they're not been successful. And on the topic of air power, do I understand correctly that the F-16s won't be available and piloted perhaps until early 25? That's probably right, and based on the pilots, and the F-16s that are going to show up are going to be 20 years old. They're not going to be the F-16s that they need to take out um, Russian counter-electronic uh, warfare measures and not just, not just provide close air support for troops, but to do things from a deep tri- strike perspective. Um, they're not going to have that capability. They're not, they're not getting the top-shelf F-16s. They're getting uh, what, what these NATO countries are doing very smartly right now is all their kind of lousy NATO equipment from the past 25 years, they're shipping it to Ukraine. They're willing to get rid of it because they want to basically rearm themselves over the next 10 years with new stuff. And, and that's what's happening with these, suppose it's only like 30 of them, too. It's not, again, they need 120 of them. They need squadrons of them in order to be effective in the fight. So Ukraine is in the unfortunate situation of not winning is losing for them, but for Russia, not winning is not losing for them. They can just hold ground and wait, right? Right, and we're seeing now what's come out of Russian intelligence sources that they want to freeze in place, and they want to stay and kind of hold the line right now. They were going on some counteroffensive operations in the north in Bakhmut, uh, still trying to take that you know, town that has no significant strategic value. You know, the, the line's still 800 kilometers long in, in order for them to try to do something. But, but they recognize that they don't have the, pow- the firepower, the shock effect in order to do the same thing, to go in any kind of counteroffensive. So 
they're coming to the conclusion that they're just going to continue to dig in. You know, that's kind of the, you know, talking about it with other analysts, it, you know, Russian tactics right now is, you know, go and take over a place and mine yourself in, you know, get ready for the long run. You're not leaving. And when you do leave, you know the way out. And the enemy trying to come in is, is not going to be very successful without the mine clearing equipment. So yeah, I'm you're, just, you're going to see a stalemate there. I'm yep. just curious. So if we were faced with that, the United States, the best military in the world, mm-hmm. how, how well would we be able to get through, you know, these mine-laden fields or how long would it take? Well, first of all, we'd absolutely destroy them from the air before we even move soldiers into them. We, we have overpressurized bombs that blow the mines up in, in place. You know, we, you know, we still obviously have the, the risk of casualties. We have better mine clearing equipment, but we just have it in, in scale that none of these other countries mm-hmm. have it in. So, and the, the, you know, we would we would be coming at them from naval power from the air. It just, you know, it, it would be no match, and it, we would not risk our soldiers until we were positive that we were going to succeed. So it's just, it's all the difference in modern warfare. And we're watching a early, you know, 20th century war take place with, we really have the only 21st century army. Hmm. Military analyst Mike Lyons on the line. Mike, let's shift to the Pacific Theater. It is notable, any student of history understands this, that Japan and South Korea are arm in arm, virtually, uh, meeting with the president in Camp David, talking about military cooperation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's good. I think um, you know that's becoming that's you know you, you, we're going to look here twenty years from now and see if something does happen there. You're going to see all these little indications of what 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 what, what had taken place there. Um, the, the Japanese, unlike the Germans, are trying to at least refit their military. Um, historically, and you know the Japanese are warriors. They you know saw that in World War Two and. Yeah, you know, so so I I think from you know the, their survivability perspective, they recognize the threat to China is they threat uh, on the seas in the South China Sea as well, um, and Australia as a key ally for us there. We've got other sides, uh, other militaries there that we have. So so that that alliance there is is kind of like you know NATO light Pacific is what's taking place. Um, unform- not formalized, but uh, the implied uh, missions that are going on there, and I think those are all good things. Well, I, I agree completely. I think we both agree it's a very good thing, um, given the, the threat of China, but it's notable since Japan committed just horrifying atrocities in right. uh, South Korea through the years. I mean, the, the wounds are still uh, very painful between those two peoples, but they are so intent on countering China, they've gotten together again, which I think is, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 those right clearly generations go back with regard to that and what Japan did during the Second World War. But they both look at each other and they look at uh, China as an existential threat to both of them, uh, and so they're they're going to they're going to work together, both of them with with the support of the United States. As long as you know we're in the room at the same time, and you know I'm sure there's emotions that get get in play every once in a while, but fundamentally they recognize where the enemy is. Finally, the Taliban has been celebrating this week their two-year anniversary of having taken back over Afghanistan after our withdrawal. Any thoughts on this two-year anniversary? Yeah, I tell you, there's still through the military community, there's been no real after-action report. This because the administration has basically kept it under wraps. They recognize how bad it is. We saw the parents testify in front of Congress. Um, we didn't see any, any, the military was not um, punished. The CENTCOM commander, I, I hold him responsible for the deaths of those uh, those Marines there. They never should have been anywhere near civilians in the last few days. Um, it, there's no difference between Afghanistan 
uh, between what happened there and what happened in Vietnam uh, from a historical perspective, but the only difference is 58,000 body bags that came home uh, in the 60s and 70s. Um, and, and if we didn't learn the lesson, and hopefully we'll, we'll learn it in the future. It is remarkable and disgusting that mm-hmm. accountability is so vital. It's it's irreplaceable um, yeah. on the battlefield and in maneuvers. And as you get further up the chain, there's less and less accountability. Yeah. It's just it's it's angering. We had it during the world wars, but uh, really since then we haven't seen it. And you know we didn't assign a general officer, for example, in Afghanistan to say go win this war. Instead, we rotated them out. It was kind of like a you know a human resources. You know they got this guy got the experience, let this guy get the experience. I mean we we fought all these different wars every time we got a new commander there, um, and then that didn't happen in World War One. We, we, we World War Two. We we put a, a person in place. We put a general officer in place to go win that war, and when they didn't, they got fired, and then we put somebody out there that could do the job. Mike Lyons uh, on the line. Mike, always enlightening. Thanks a million for the time. Good to talk to you. Great, guys. Thanks for having me. See you soon. Armstrong and Getty. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 